Some of my favorite things. Number one, I always get a promotion when people introduce me. I'm actually the assistant principal, um, so that's fantastic. Um, and, and on purpose, meaning that um, I do not want to be in charge of teachers. I, I've been asked to be a principal. I'm like, thank you, no thank you. So, um, such a blessing to be here. Um, so yes, we're kind of excited about the grandchild. So for those of you that in our family, um, Jacob Dale, our youngest, is going to be a dad. So we're super excited about that. Um, but yeah, it has been, I'm, I was thinking, I'm 24 years removed from birthing. <clears throat> um, but truly, really, parenting older children, um, you have a lot of the same opportunities. You just can't put them in time out. Right. <laughs> that's the problem. Um, but it's such a joy to watch them pursue Christ. And so we are very grateful that that is the case for all of our kids. Um, on occasion, sometimes I'm asked about, like, how, do you, how did you raise your kids to love Jesus? And so this is totally for free, not about peace. But um, I'm going to give you just a couple, of, a couple of thoughts just to encourage you. Um, and I have seen, I was just thinking, I think I met Tawny when she was about five. I've known Stace. Yeah, Stace is about four. So in terms of just watching um, kids grow up to walk and love Jesus, um, keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is not behavior. It's not. Um, react less, pray more, and then pray some more. And um, compliant kids are just compliant centers. Make sense? Um, I think sometimes we really get focused on behavior. So you can't save your kids. God didn't ask you to do that. Um, he asked you to raise them up. Secondly, show up and serve in the local church. Um, your kids will not love the church if you do not. And, uh, you know, there's a huge statistic where kids walk away from the church. Um, love the church. Um, and, and pass that on. It's probably one of the greatest gifts I think you can give to your kids. I'm super grateful uh, for my parents. Uh, and then surround yourself with godly families, godly people that will invest, invite them to invest and speak into the lives of your children. Um, and I'll give you an example. Of, this is so interesting. So Jake, <clears throat> when they found out they were expecting, he wanted to come up and tell um, the group of friends, I'm going to show you a picture here in a little bit, of women, he wanted to come up and tell each of them personally and thank them. And that was him. That was not, not something I asked him to do. But that's because those women have spoken. They were there when he was born, and they've spoken into his life. Um, and then I'm going to throw in just a, a freebie. As a, I've been in education for 40 years, and over 40 years. And um, don't make excuses for your kids. And what I mean by that is saving them from natural consequences. Um, I'm an assistant principal, can you tell? I've had this conversation with a lot of parents. You know what, because when you make excuses, you're teaching them to blame shift. All right, it's a whole different topic. I can get on a different soapbox at some point, but um, they need to own their own sin. They need to own their failures, and they're gonna grow from it. Um, but the goal would be to raise kids who, <clears throat> understand and recognize their need for Jesus, they need a savior because they're a sinner. And so um, 
We need to raise up kids with stamina. Kids who can pursue, kids who can persevere. Um, and in the word for that, this is, I hear my mother, the word for that is we want them to mature. And the only way they're gonna do that um, is, by, is by you encouraging them to learn from their mistakes. All right, that was all has nothing to do with peace. That was just my, I, I don't know, just free. Um, so our time's short today, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of fly through some stuff. I'm super practical. If you've ever had a conversation with me, um, I love the word. I spend a great deal of time in it, and then I love to find a way to practically really kind of work it out um, in our lives. And so, a couple assumptions today. One is that. If you're here today, um, you're here for a reason. You chose to come. So you believe either in the power of the transformation, transforming power of the word, um, or you're interested in that, and you're interested in, in exploring that. And then also that you believe it's gonna require obedience on your part. So you can sit, you can take in, but if you're not gonna go do, then it's really not all that of great benefit to you. Um, I'm a huge fan of reading good books. Um, I usually bring four or five. Oh, wait, look, I brought three. Um, actually, those are it. But I, I just want to encourage you, um, ask people what they're reading, and I'm going to share something with you this morning that um, I think is a good, um, just is a good way for us to enter into this topic. So here's what I want you to do. Close your eyes. Just take a deep breath. Listen, I'm going to read you just a little entry from New Morning Mercies, uh, Paul David Tripp. Every part of the Bible's teaching is designed to be a means to an end, and the end is a radically transformed life. Sin doesn't just make us guilty. It renders us unable. It robs us of the ability to live in a way that pleases God. Sin kidnaps our desires and distorts our thoughts. It controls our tongues and rules our behavior. It saps our resolve and weakens our knees. It leaves us lame, weak, and unable. We don't just need forgiveness and ultimate deliverance. We are also desperately in need of present help. Help so that we will have the will to desire and the power to do what is good in the sight of God. Our struggle with sin is so deep that only God living inside us can give us the power to please him with our living. So God doesn't just forgive us or even call us to do what is right and, pro and promise us a final home with him. He comes to us in between. He gets inside us, working within us, because there is no possibility that we will desire and do what is right without the inner working of his power. And God, we are profoundly, desperately in need of you. We are here for such a time as this. I know sometimes that makes us anxious as we look at the world. But God, you, you are a God of the present. Nothing is out of your control. What seems chaotic to us is part of your good plan. Help us to trust you. Give us wisdom as we think through ways that we can become skilled at resolving conflict. You are a God of peace. And we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the pursuit of peace, impossible without the Holy Spirit. Absolutely impossible. And it really, I know you guys are talking about fruit. 
um, Dawn, I'm not really sure what this meant when she came up and, and said to me, oh, we, we're doing Free the Spirit. Um, we really, we'd love for you to speak on peace. And I was like, oh, huh, oh. And then she goes, conflict resolution. Like, All right. So I'm not really sure why. But um, so FBC, and we've gone through the Peacemaker series several times. How many of you guys are probably familiar? I also really like hosting these. Um, but yeah, if you've seen this, if you haven't seen this, and I think there's another one, Chelsea, what's the other one called? It? For families. Peacemaking for families, and so different ones. But anyway, great resource. I'm not going to talk about it today. Um, but super, super practical. I think probably one of the best, if not the best, personal resource on peacemaking. Um, so, bonus points. Chelsea, you cannot answer. Um, four G's. Come on. Tawny Ray, come on. <laughs> four G's. Okay, I'll give you a hand. Glorify God. Chelsea, go ahead. Number two. Get the log out of your own eye. Such an attractive thought. Gently restore and go and be reconciled. So those are great principles. Um, so you all need to go home and get your books out if you've done that. Um, but what is peace? What is peace and why does it matter? And I think that's kind of a I don't know, rhetorical question. I think we're all like, well, because we all like peace. Um, but I, I want to just encourage you. And I've given you some notes. I am a note taker. If you ever sit near me or with me in church, I love to write stuff down. So do what you need to do. If you don't want to do it, it's totally fine. Um, peace is not just the absence of conflict. I think sometimes we tend to look at things from the opposite perspective. And we think, oh, we're in peace because we're not fighting. Not necessarily. Um, and I gave you a, just a little quote up there. But the presence of completeness or wholeness to make amends in the life of a believer always points to the presence of something or someone else. And it's, peace isn't just for our good, as awesome as that feels. It's always for the glory of God in the life of a believer and in, just in the lives of others. Um, so real quick, I'm gonna flip through again, not on your notes, but I think this is the foundation um, of this whole idea of pursuing peace and, and developing developing that fruit of the spirit if you're a believer that resides in you so the origin the foundation right is peace with god jesus is our peace and um really familiar passages maybe to you he's our peace because our sins make us enemies of god he's restored our relationship on the cross and he provides a path to reconciliation so here's the thing and I'm going to hear me say this a few times today. The world wants to make you think we cannot live in peace. It is a big, fat lie from the pit of hell. We can. Why? Because of Christ. Um, so peace, peace with ourselves. So peace with God. Peace with ourselves, <clears throat> which is within, right? Lori, I loved her testimony. I almost feel like whenever you hear someone's testimony, I just want to do like mic drop and go, yes. So yay God, so awesome. Um, we're a new creation. He makes us whole and complete. When trials come, James, kind of in a fight with James right now, James. Um, and trials on the outside, peace on the inside, right? That's what, that's what God provides for us. So today, peace with others. And you know what? 
it's still the same Jesus. Jesus is our peace with others. So we have recon- because we have reconciliation with God, we can have reconciliation with others, uh, fellowship, and we can live in peace. So those are just, I just kind of lay that as a foundation and, and um, I want to make sure um, that we don't, it can be sometimes tempting to become really good at self-help. And I always like to say, go into a bookstore, one of the largest sections is self-help. To which I want to say, if we could help ourselves, we would. But we can't, right? And so this is very true. So if you're sitting here and you're thinking, oh, my situation, no, I'm here to tell you, Jesus is bigger, all right? And that's what we're gonna look at today. So the summary there, he is our peace, it's his nature, he empowers us by his spirit to be peacemakers, not just peacekeepers. Some of us are content to be just peacekeepers. Um, we don't muster it up. So I'm not here to give you a motivational speech on how to, how to just <clears throat> become a peacemaker, you know? Um, yeah, so now what do we do? All right, so here's the deal. And, and, and kind of thinking, if this is all the case, why do we have conflict? So why does conflict, we have some conflict in our lives. And um, at the end of the day, this side of heaven, we are all sinners. We still remain sinners. Don't you just wish that went away? Like, I just wish, come on, Jesus. Oh, it's going to, right? When we go to glory. Um, so we are also surrounded by the same. I think sometimes we find ourselves being surprised when people act sinful. Oh, because they're sinners, right? So we need to be prepared and thinking rightly. And I love that statement by Paul Tripp. Um, if you're looking for a good devotional, it's not new. Um, but New Morning Mercies, when he says, sin renders us unable. I feel like this should be a t-shirt. Um, all right, so why are we surprised when there's conflict? All right, so I just picked four areas. Um, again, I like to be practical. Um, not that any of you have conflict in any of these areas, but maybe you can help a friend. Um, conflict with your husband, conflict with your children, conflict with extended family, and with your friends. Isn't that exciting? That's what we're gonna talk about. Um, so, and, and here's the thing, like today what I wanna do is just offer you some hooks to hang stuff on. Um, what, one of the hardest things to do in speaking is to speak for like 30, 35 minutes. It's actually much easier to do like two or three sessions because you can kind of unpack stuff. So we're not gonna have a ton of time to do that, but I'm gonna give you some, some hooks. Um, and some of them, some of the questions, most there's gonna be a lot of questions I'm just gonna ask and you can be like, hmm, um, maybe you'll be offended. Hmm. You might be defensive. Hmm. And um, I really was resonating with Pastor Chris when he was talking about Bob Blunt. So Betty, Betty Blunt, that is me. Um, but I'm gonna guarantee you this. Here's the premise of, of just these thoughts that I'm gonna share with you. And it's, I think it's at the top of your notes. You will not become skilled at peacemaking without effort any more than you'll become fit and healthy being hopeful. We are not naturally peacemakers. We are all broken by sin. It will take perseverance and stamina and lifelong pursuit of truth lived out in the power of the Holy Spirit. All right, so that's what we're doing. All right, so let's start with the easy one. 
conflict with your husband. Um, I think that God, I kind of chuckle at the Lord. It's always funny when, when people talk about, you know, my kind of my past. And we dated for seven years. Um, I was like a freshman in high school when we started dating. And I really think that God just was like, oh, okay, just, just marry this one. Like, you don't, don't, don't keep going. Just marry this one. So we dated all through high school and college. So we've been together for 36 plus 7, 43, a very long time. Um, and so the foundation of dealing with conflict with your husband, and um, I will go to the mat with anyone on this. The foundation is respect. Um, and we're going to look at Ephesians 5.33 in just a second. So you kind of go, wait, what? what? What does that have to do with conflict? Do you respect him? What? Why? Why is that so important? Um, it's everything. It is everything. It is the foundation that you're going to be on to work through conflict. Um, does he know you respect him and how do you communicate that? There's another book, Love and Respect. It's kind of big and thick. I don't know if you really need to read it. Um, but it's, it's, it's a great book in terms of understanding this concept of the difference between men and women. Um, and I gave you just a little, a little picture there. Um, and the author talks about this. Without love, she reacts. Without respect, he reacts. And then it's this awesome, fantastic cycle. Um, so let me put it to you, and this is, it's kind of cause and effect. Um, life is a lot about that. As you respect, admire, esteem your husband, his response will likely be to grow in love with you. Let me repeat that. As you respect, admire, and esteem him, his response will likely be to grow in love toward you. And this is a side note. I do this a lot in conversation. I, I'm kind of fearful when I get really old and I can't remember like what I was talking about. Um, our husbands, um, they assume we love them. This is one of the ways that I think that men and women are different. Our husbands assume we love them, but they often feel like we don't like them. Is that an interesting thought? Um, they dislike, they, they interpret this dislike as disrespect, even contempt. We interpret, we interpret his behavior as unloving. So it's like this, he, men are not like us. They are not. They don't think the same. Um, Ephesians 5.33. This is out of the Amplified. I like the Amplified sometimes. However, so this is, this is Paul. This is where we see this in Scripture. And Paul wrote this astounding letter to the church at Ephesus. And he really encouraged believers to be controlled by the Spirit. <clears throat> Anyone can fake it for a couple hours a week. Anyone. Whether it's a church or whatever. Um, no one can keep up a facade kind of indefinitely. So here's the scripture. However, so nevertheless, each man among you without exception is to love his wife as his very own self with behavior worthy of respect and esteem, always seeking the best for her with an attitude of loving kindness. 
And the wife must see to it that she respects and delights in her husband, that she notices him and prefers him and treats him with loving concern, treasuring him and honoring him and holding him dear. Do we prefer our husbands? Do they sometimes feel we prefer others? Hmm. Sorry, I told you. It's kind of, oh, it's hard. The however in that, in that verse at the very beginning, the nevertheless or the however, really is meant to um, kind of bookend this life-giving truth. Our motive to love our spouse is to mirror the love that Christ has for us. That's our motive, to love our spouse. Truth always points us and others back to Christ. So what if your husband doesn't treat you that way? What do you do? Um, And there's a scripture in 1 Peter 3. There's there's several different ones. I I like this one. Um, It's there, I think, on your... In the same way... Referring back to submission, we're going to talk a little bit about that. Be submissive, be submissive to your own husbands, not as inferior, but out of respect for the responsibilities entrusted to them and their accountability to God. Have you ever thought about that? I actually would not want to be a man. I, I think that their level is their level of accountability is off the charts. They, that they may be won over to Christ without discussion by the godly, godly lives of their wives when they see your modest and respectful behavior. So just encouraging and respecting him by the way we, by the way we respond. And <clears throat> there really isn't a plan B. And I'm just going to tell you, like I, I've been married for a long time. And um, my husband, I say every time I speak and I talk about him, I say this. If there's ever an issue in our marriage and our friends have to get involved, they're coming after me. Like, Gabe, what's wrong with you? Like, what are you doing? Because I am married to the most gracious, kind, overlooking man on the planet. Um, I'm sure that's why God was like, he needs to be your husband. Um, I'm pretty pretty sure. Um, But if we don't keep respect and focus, here's the thing. We are going to deceive ourselves that there's a different way to do it. All right, so it's really God's job and God's calling us to do it this way. So the question, do you respect your husband and what does it look like? And if you really have some courage, ask him, where do you see that I respect you? Um, Check your heart in the conflict. So Matthew 12, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So are you communicating respect? Some great scripture in Proverbs 25, 11, 11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. Are your words timely and seasoned with grace? Timing matters. Can I get an amen? Mm-hmm. You guys just haven't been married long enough. Um, <laughs> Greta's over there going, yes. Proverbs 15, 23, a man has joy in making an apt answer, a word spoken at the right moment, how good it is. Words matter. And I would say to you, what's your communication plan? Have you ever thought about that? Like, how do I best communicate with my husband? Um, Side note, I travel a lot for work because I work with international kids. And I've discovered that my husband really likes to talk on the phone when I'm in China. (laughs) I don't really know. We have had some of like the the most awesome conversations. 
I'm at our house, we're five feet away, and he's not talking to me. <laughs> um, so, if, but if this is hard for you, if timing and word choice and all that's difficult, this, you got some godly women in here, run it by them. Here's what I, here's what I wanna say, here's what I wanna communicate. Can you help me come up with a way to say it? Um, a little note to myself, because I think this is important to mention. What is off limits? You ever thought about this? What is off limits? Possibly just for a season. So I'm talking about in communication with your husband. What's off limits? And I'm gonna give you an example. Your husband lost his job. Maybe he made a mistake at work, he got a bad review. He doesn't wanna talk about it every day. He doesn't. So be wise. All right, pray for wisdom. Pray for wisdom to know when to speak. Um, something else, what is that when you're, when you're trying to work through something with your husband, what's the desired outcome? I think sometimes we don't think about this. We don't, we don't really think through what is it I, I want to see happen. Um, and you know what, here's the problem. Not thinking that through invariably leads to unmet expectations because you haven't thought through what it is you want to happen as you're trying to resolve something. Does that make sense? All right, so unmet expectations. Um, and this was the longest one that I wanted to share with you, and I, I, I felt, I put it first, because I really am convinced, I'm just convinced that if we are not at peace with our husbands, we will struggle with every other relationship in our life, including our children, when it comes to conflict. And I think that's how God designed it. Leave and cleave, you and your husband, right? All right, well, speaking of children, let's get to those children. Um, as I thought through this and was even thinking about my own parenting, um, I think one of the, the foundation of working through conflict in our conflict with our kids is training in right thinking. All right, so let me unpack that for us just a little bit, and we're going to look at Ephesians 6. So what's the goal of parenting? And honestly, I believe this is one of the key crisis points in the world in which we live. Um, I work with lots of kids. I work with, I work with families in our school who call me and ask me to parent their kids. Um, Mrs. Bennett, can you take his phone away? What? What? Well, yeah, I just, I can't do it. You know, like, I, so I'm just saying that we, we have got to work on our thinking and training our kids to think rightly. Um, wait, I lost my place. What happened here? Oh, there it is. All right. Um, Ephesians 6. So let's take a quick look. That's on your, I think it's on your, either on the slide or on your outline. Um, children, obey your parents and the Lord. Yes, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, be respectful to them. This is the first commandment, so that it may be well with you, that you may have a long life on the earth. I love that there's a promise there. Um, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up tenderly with the loving kindness and the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Um, the commentary in my current study Bible that I'm using says this, the Greek suggests the idea of nurturing and helping them flourish. Parents are entrusted with the minds, feelings, and bodies of tender bearers of the divine image. Think about that. You are entrusted with an image bearer, 
Imago Dei. Accordingly, these are not my words, don't be mad at me. Children do not exist for parents, but parents for children to help them come into their own personhood before God. Let me read that again. Children do not exist for parents. They're entrusted to us. But parents for children to help them come into their own personhood before God. So raising kids who have a correct view of themselves, um, it's not the general consensus out there, by the way, correct view of themselves, sinners in need of a savior, um, and then God, sinners in need of savior, and God, holy and blameless and righteous. So some questions to consider and just some practical ideas in this particular area. What's at the root of your conflict with your kids? Now think about this. I know some of you have really, really littles. Maybe you have a combination of littles and not so littles. Um, and here's why I think it's important to ask this question. Because we really focus on behavior. So is the root cause, is it their behavior? Is the conflict that you're in with your kids, is it causing an inconvenience for you? Are you training them to respond to biblical truth? Or are you simply training them to please you? So raising people pleasers is not super helpful. Are you training them to respond to biblical truth, to think biblically? Um, in what areas are your expectations unreasonable? Maybe not age appropriate. Ask, ask other people. Should my two-year-old be taking out the trash? Probably not, <laughs> right? Um, how do you apologize to your kids? It was my one um, word of advice I gave my son before he got married. I go, dude, just get good at apologizing. But think about it. If you can apologize and you can do it well, you can resolve a lot of conflict right away, right? Do you model confession and repentance? Do your kids know what that looks like? Do you say to them, I need to confess, I need to repent? Use those words. Help them with that vocabulary. Do you expect conflict? Do you expect conflict with your kids? Do you carry it over from day to day? So in other words, does a conflict from yesterday impact today? Think about how hard that is for like a four-year-old. Like they don't remember, they don't remember five minutes ago, you know? <laughs> and you're hanging on to their behavior in the restaurant the day before. They, they, don't, they don't remember. <clears throat> All right, some good thoughts. Conflict with family and extended family. This is exciting because we're moving into the holidays. Yes. Um, and so we're gonna get a chance, I think some couple of scenarios have some info on that, it'll be fun. Um, so what's the foundation when we're working with, through conflict with family, with extended family? I tried, looked for a whole bunch of other words, you guys. I, it was just like humility, humility, humility. I kept coming back to that. Um, that's the foundation in working with, through conflict with extended family. Um, it's not always possible, right? Romans 12 tells us if it's, if, Possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably. Um, so here's some questions to consider. Um, we're not going to take a lot of time to do that. But um, what's the priority in a relationship with family and extended family? 
If you honestly, if you just ask these two questions, this is going to take you a long way. What's the priority? And secondly, what's my responsibility in the conflict? Right? Humility, thinking the best, giving people the benefit of the doubt. And here's the thing. When people say to me, um, especially people that have known me for a long time, up gay, you just don't know my family. And you know what I say to them? Well, yes. Yes, I do, because I have my own. Um, thank you very much. Um, real quick, um, distilling this down to two, two statements. Um, some of you know more of the story of my, my situation with my family. Um, about 15 years ago, I was estranged from my family um, through a series of, of things that happened related to church, and I was actually disowned by my parents. Now, these are all believers I'm telling you about. All believers love Jesus, and I was disowned by my parents. So that's like conflict, right? Um, I went to my mentors. I have four, because it takes a lot. Um, I went to them and I said, what do I do? They all four, they don't, they know each other, but don't really know each other. They live in different parts of the country. And they all said the same thing to me. Keep the main thing, the main thing, honoring Christ. Keep the main thing, the main thing. I just fell on my face. I sought the wisdom of the Lord. And you know what I honored? I honored all of those people involved. My brother, three kids, the Bennett's three kids. I want someone to give you just an a word of encouragement to, for those of you that are struggling with family. Um, I put my my struggle right alongside yours. Um, but through it all, here's what's happened. God restored my relationship with my parents, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. My nephews, my niece, and my children are the best of friends to this day. Um, God never, God, God protected those relationships. I was so grateful. And God graciously allowed restoration in my relationship with my brother uh, before his very sudden death. And I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful for that. Um, restoration is possible because of God. Period. So as you, as you find yourself going, oh, I just don't know, restoration is possible because of God. All right, so here's the thing. I think with family, stakes are higher often. And the other thing, so my mentors told me two things, keep the main thing the main thing. And the other thing, all four of them said this to me, and your children are watching. Our oldest was going into college. So my kids were all old enough to know what was going on. So the question is, in a conflict with your family, extended family, here's a few questions for you. What are your children specifically, what are they observing? Um, is your faith real? Does it work in these types of situations with family? Does it work? Does it guide your thinking and your actions? The question, can I just walk away from family? Can I just walk away from those family relationships? In a word, no. Because God is God. All right, so um, I'm going to give you a tool today. We're going to take a few minutes and talk about it as I finish up here. Um, it's called Crucial Conversations. Again, you don't really need a book. But if you're a reader, it looks like this. Um, 
And it's not a Christian book. It's not a Christian book. Um, as we walk through, I'm going to walk you through just some, some ideas. You will, in your mind, I guarantee you, you're going to be thinking of scripture. Because you know why? Because there's biblical principles. All right? So it doesn't have to have a Bible verse to be a biblical principle. That's a word of encouragement. All right. Conflict with friends. We'll finish up with, with, uh, with this. When, it, when you're working with, through stuff with friends, the foundation needs to be a shared purpose. I, I really had to sit and ask myself, like, what makes my friendships work? Um, shared purpose. And some scripture there, Jonathan and David in 1 Samuel, um, Proverbs 12, choose your friends carefully. Proverbs 27, God uses friends to sharpen us painfully sometimes. And here's the thing, this, the, the resolving conflict with friends can be really tricky. And do you know why? Don Dyer, this is for you. Because women are weird. Women are weird. I know. I'm one of them. It's very theological. Feel free to use that one. <laughs> Women are weird. Um, hopefully, there's a picture up here coming up of some friends. Those of you that go to FBC may recognize these these gals. Terry Schleiger, Farside, otherwise known as Tawny's mother. Um, Adrienne Gergens, all you guys know her. Andrea Perez and Valerie Rodriguez. Um, these are some of my favorite people. We've been friends for 33 years. Um, we have walked through the death of parents. Here's the thing, when you're old, this, these are the things that happen. You walk through the death of parents, um, hard and scary medical diagnosis, <clears throat> wayward children, spiritual devastation in the church. They were all part of that church with me many years ago. Marital ups and downs, conflicts in almost all of those areas. Um, so how do you resolve, how, how, do you, how do you work through stuff? Um, here's the deal, we overlook a lot when we don't agree. We, we've agreed to overlook. Um, and we kind of have this unspoken agreement to just um, kind of agree to disagree, but also ask questions of each other. Uh, we don't judge. Um, we, we try to encourage and pray for one another. But most of all, I would say what has made these friendships work is that there's a covenant friendship. We are friends no matter what no matter what. So we, we have chosen that covenant friendship, not just for our benefit, but for the glory of Christ. Um, all three of my kids at one time or another, these are, the, these are the women who Jake had to come tell he was gonna be a dad. Um, they've all said to me, mom, we want those friendships. So I'm so blessed by that, by their recognition of that. Um, and another side note, um, different types of friendships mean different levels of expectations. Everybody is not your best friend. That would be horrible. It would be exhausting. Um, and when it comes to conflicts and friendships, here's an FYI for you. You are always part of the problem. You and I are always part of the problem. When there's a problem, when there's conflict and friendship, you and I are always part of the problem. And you know why? Because we bring our sinful self with us in it. All right. So some things that friends, true friendship requires, um, when you think about that, what do, gosh, and it's, that's another topic. And my friend, who was it? Maybe Lori. I think it was, we were talking, I had spoken at somewhere else on friendship, one of my favorite things to talk about. So when you think about what does a friend require, 
Trust, believing the best, transparency, safety, ultimately shared outcomes. Are you hearing? That's, that's a theme in terms of conflict resolution. Shared outcomes, thinking biblically. So I gave you just a couple things that I think are helpful, and I really would encourage you in your friendship, seek to establish some of these, but I recommend doing it in peacetime. What do I mean by peacetime? This is a question to you. What's that? When you're not in conflict. So I don't recommend that you work on these when you're not getting along. Um, reciprocity, two-way street. Friendship's a two-way street in order to be healthy. Sharpening, sometimes sharpening feels like conflict, but it should always be done in the context of kindness. All right. Um, shared insights into biblical marriage, parenting. You're not gonna always agree. You will not parent and do your marriage the same way your friends do, and that's okay. And then also commitment and sacrifice. Friends and friendships are not always convenient. But I'm gonna tell you, I'm almost 59, and healthy friendships, which are those that are marked by peace. If you are constantly in turmoil with your friends, you need an intervention, because your friends should not be the people that you are constantly in conflict with. Um, but healthy friendships make you a godlier wife, a better parent, and a better family member when you have great friends. Um, so take me for a cup of coffee. I'll share all about it. I love talking about friendship. Um, all right, so here is um, just a little tool. It's on a pink sheet on your, on your table. And I'm just gonna walk you through. We don't have time to do much with this, but um, this doesn't look like much. This is powerful stuff right here. So I'm gonna just beg you Forget everything that I said. If you can work through and begin to develop some skills, and this is, I just look at, you don't have to read this. Look, this is so much thinner. <laughs> this is a summary of the whole book. Um, this is a tool. All right, so take a quick look. What's a crucial conversation? It's a conversation in which emotions are strong, opinions differ, and the stakes may be high. All right? We all have high stakes. Not every conflict is high stakes. But, um, so we have these things called crucial conversations or whatever you wanna call it, important conversations, I don't know. Um, so I, there's 10 things on here. I'm gonna read through them really quick. Safety first. If, if you don't feel safe in having a conversation, it's gonna be tough to get people to, to really engage, right? Um, let the facts lead. And most of the time you don't know the facts. I'm just gonna tell you. Most of the time I do a ton of working with kids and families and stuff. And there's there's five different stories and it's kind of somewhere in the middle and it's a combination of all of them, right? So you don't always know the facts. Um, number three probably should be number one, look at yourself when it comes to thinking through how to have this dialogue. Um, find mutual purpose. We talked about shared outcomes. Um, in the book, the author uses this phrase, I really like it, it's called the pool of shared meaning. Think about that. How many times have you been having a conversation, you're in conflict, you're talking about one thing, they're hearing something else, and you don't have this pool, you don't have this shared meaning in the middle. All right? So that's kind of what this is talking about. Um, when people are furious, I love this term, it's a little phrase, when people are furious, get curious. <laughs> meaning, try to figure out why someone's so upset. And you know what? You don't know. You, you really don't. 
So ask some questions in kindness and really with genuineness. Um, watch your words, words matter. Ooh, is that ever true? Uh, what you say versus what they hear, there's often a gap. I think this happens a lot in marriage because men and women are so different. Um, number eight, my way or the highway. This is the either or. This is the either or choice. And honestly, very little of life is either or. It's almost always and. All right. So in the book, the author calls it the fool's choice. And I think that's really appropriate. Listen up, right? Um, I love this little, this little word. Look at that little, it's number nine, little Roman numeral, one X, for those of you out of school. Um, <laughs> ask as they share, practice skillful living. Ask, mirror, paraphrase, and prime. What does prime mean? And I gave you a little definition. When the other person is struggling to keep going. Like, don't, don't put words in their mouth. Just say, it's okay. Just, yeah, think about it. Like what, so what? Or you can say, here's what I'm hearing you say. Sometimes that'll trigger something else for them to continue um, working through conflict. And then self-assess for success, right? So becoming self-aware, um, again, highly underrated in my opinion. Becoming self-aware, developing, developing some tools, having the Holy Spirit, that equals peace. Those are some things that are gonna help you, that are gonna help you get there. Um, all right, one other resource I wanted to give you, if you just wanna get beat up. It's called Revive Our Hearts. How many of you listen to Revive Our Hearts? Raise your hand. Oh, yes. If you are not listening to Revive Our Hearts, Nancy Lee DeMoss, Walgamuth, you are missing out, in my opinion, on probably one of the best, if not the best women's Bible teacher currently teaching she is phenomenal so uh, the beauty of meekness doesn't that sound awesome the beauty of meekness and it's back in July you just scroll back download the app um, I can help you because I'm tech savvy like that um, download the app um, or get on there somehow um, this series has literally been life-changing for me I'm going through it with my um, unequally yoked gals um, who are uh, living out godliness before their husbands who don't believe um and it is kicking me um I, I i'm getting the, i'm taking it in i listened to the series at least three times i'm working on the obedience part right the living it out part so all right finishing up here's just a couple points of application as we're done um be committed to the skills of peacemaking um we practice all kinds of things right to get better um we need to we need to get a graduate degree in peacemaking right get good at it think about how great life would be if we were skilled at that it's not optional and it really does it really does stem from a right thinking about your own spiritual poverty right god loves you god has forgiven you who are you to not work through conflicts with others um keep short accounts um, do not become a historian, somebody once said to me. Um, the good news is when you get older, I can't remember stuff, so it's, I'm pretty good at it. Um, but keep short accounts and then put God on display. Never forget, you guys, please, just in big letters across the top of your paper, write, someone is always watching. Someone is always watching. And my mentors who told me that in this conflict with my family, they said, your children are watching. And the other thing they said was, all those women that you stood in front of for 20 years and taught are watching. 
And I, that was pretty humbling for me. Um, I like to think in questions. For those of you that heard me speak, one of my things I say is, why does that bug me? So I have people that come up and curse me all the time. My gosh, now that you said that, why does it bug me? Here's another couple questions I'm gonna give you. As you think of and process conflict resolution, think about this. What in the world is God doing right here, right now? This is Paul Tripp. What in the world is God doing right here, right now, and how in the world should I respond to what God is doing? That's the question. How should I respond? So a life marked by peace and peacemaking is a worthy pursuit. So let me pray for us. God, we are grateful that you enable us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And I pray for these ladies this morning. As I know, they sit here, they have their own stories, they have their own situations with husbands, with children, with family, with friends. God, I pray they would see you as bigger than any conflict, that they would desire to become a woman who is skilled, who is excellent at peacemaking. And God, may their children be raised in homes where you are put on display because the way things are resolved is different than the way the world resolves things. We love you. We are grateful for the truth of your word in Jesus' name. Amen.